0: Today we celebrate the baptism of the Lord. It's actually technically the last day of the Christmas season. Tomorrow we begin in ordinary time. And this feast of the baptism is connected to Christmas, somehow, just as our own birth is connected to our rebirth in baptism. Jesus' birth on earth in Bethlehem is connected to his rebirth, so to speak, uh, in the waters of baptism in the River Jordan, not far from Bethlehem, actually. I remember when we were in the Holy Land, I was with the seminary, my classmates, uh, in our third year of theology, we visited uh, the holy places where Jesus walked, one of which was the River Jordan, whereabouts he was, it's, nobody knows for certain what part of the river he was baptized in, and even a river by definition is sort of a changing thing, you know, what it looks like today, it's very different than what it looks like yesterday, a month ago, much less 2,000 years ago, but we visited about the spot where Jesus might have been baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And remember it was kind of a warm day. Um, I'd never been to this part of uh, the Holy Land before. It was our first venture into kind of the more desert area. It's not far from the Dead Sea, by the way, a very low place below sea level. Um, It had been raining a lot that week. And so the river was kind of blown out, meaning it was muddy, it was the, the, the banks were very high, and it, was, it wasn't clear water, it was kind of murky. On one side of the river was Israel, where we were pilgrims, and on, on the other side was the country of Jordan. And so on either side of this border, the Jordan River serves as a, as a border between countries, there's Jordanian soldiers on one side in camouflage with AK, AK-47s, and on this side there's Israeli soldiers with AK-47s, sort of guarding this vulnerable spot between countries. I saw a dove uh, settle down on, on a building and I thought, wow, that's so beautiful. This is the place where Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. Then I saw a whole flock of doves that were probably, they probably had released just for that purpose as a tourist location. And all, all in all, it was not the most beautiful spot on earth. It was not a place where you felt the presence of God. You were looking for him, but it wasn't obvious that he was there. And yet, somehow in that, just knowing that Jesus, the eternal Word and the Son of God the Father, begotten from all ages, God from God, life from light, true God from true God, had settled down in this spot on earth and got in that water, somehow was consoling to me. In some ways, that river was the whole world moving and changing and passing away. Surrounded by all of this human weirdness and rivalry and borders and whatever, that God had settled right down into it and sanctified it. Because we know that Jesus really didn't need to be reborn like we do. We all need to be baptized. Jesus already was the Word of God. He was the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit in person. So why would he need to be cleansed of sin if he could not have sinned in the first place. Well, the church fathers say that the waters, he did not need to be cleansed by the waters, but the waters needed to be cleansed by him. So that we who are united to Christ in the waters of baptism are truly united, because the waters have been made holy. His body has been immersed, and so our bodies, which in turn are immersed, become one with his body. I know that when I was in the parish, I would often get parents coming to me, To prepare their children for baptism. And I would always ask them, why do you want your kid to be baptized? And usually the answer was some version of, well, you know, our parents did it for us and we want to do it for them. We want to give them a good foundation. We want our children to be, we want our child to be a good person with a good moral compass. And we think that Catholicism, being a member of the church, is a good way to do that. And that's an okay reason. It's an okay reason to do anything, really. You want your children to be good people. Nobody wants their children to make bad moral choices. But I always try to communicate to them that that's not really what baptism is for. The effects of baptism are threefold. They have three kind of major effects. One is that you get the Holy Spirit just as the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus like a dove. When you are immersed in the waters of baptism, you get the Holy Spirit in you, and he never leaves you. This is why you're capable of living forever. We, on our own, pre-baptism, pre-Holy Spirit, apart from the grace of God, we will die. And that's it. That's curtains. (laughs) But if you have the Holy Spirit, you will rise from the dead and live forever. That's not an automatic thing. We don't all get born with that. It's kind of like being able to breathe on Mars or underwater. It's something extra that you're given on top of what your natural capabilities already are. Which is why we baptize babies. We say, we want them, just in case God forbid something were to happen to the baby, we want them to have this gift of eternal life. And of course, if they die before they're baptized, God is not limited by the sacraments. He can still give them this gift apart from the sacrament. But we are limited by the sacraments. We are obliged, if we can, can, to give every person this gift of eternal life. So you get the Holy Spirit. You also get membership. Membership in the church. But membership in his body, member as in my arm is a member of my body. My hand is a member of my body. It's not separable from it. Its whole uh, existence is kind of only makes sense in cooperation with the rest of the members of my body. So you are a member of Jesus' body when you are baptized. You're incorporated into him, you become a part of him. As inseparable from Christ and from each other as cells are to each other in a body and finally you're adopted you're adopted as a son or a daughter of god the father jesus by nature is the son of god we are by grace the sons and daughters of god we are given that grace because he united himself with us and so we who are united with him in baptism become part of him in receiving that grace of adoption as sons and daughters at the end of the baptism ritual Chrism oil is taken, the same oil that's used to confirm people and to anoint the hands of priests. This chrism oil that's kind of uh, perfumed with balsam, it's this odorous sacred oil, is placed on the crown of the head of the baby. And the priest says a prayer, in effect, uh, naming this baby, anointing him or her a priest, a prophet, and a king. These are called the three munera, or three gifts of Christ, the three offices of Christ. That he is a priest a prophet and a king and every member of his body everyone reborn in the bath of baptism shares in this ministry shares in these offices they're a prophet in that they speak the word of god they are called in season and out of season to preach the gospel to call people to christ to discipleship to rebirth they're priests in the sense that they offer sacrifice I am a priest, a ministerial priest. I offer the sacrifice of the Eucharist, but each and every one of you throughout this week has brought their sacrifice to the altar with me, which is why I say, may my sacrifice and yours be acceptable to God the Father Almighty. You have brought sacrifices to this altar because you're priests in Christ and you're kings in the sense that you order the kingdom of God. You have some role and responsibility in the kingdom of God, to give order, to govern, to have authority and responsibility over other members of the body of Christ, whether that's in your family, in your work, or in the church itself. All of this is based in, this is not, has nothing to do with Jesus being a good person, or even the best person, or you or I being a good person. It's not something that we earn by something we do. It's something that we're given, an identity Rooted in a relationship and that identity is what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased You cannot earn sonship you cannot lose sonship No matter how good or how bad you are you're a son or a daughter or you're not Because it's based in unconditional love I remember one summer I was uh, on retreat Kind of for 10 weeks, it was an eight-day retreat that started the whole summer, but it was a whole summer of prayer. And I did a lot of exercise in that time because there wasn't a whole lot to do, and it was a way to kind of get out energy and, and to sort of uh, blow off some steam. And one day I was shooting hoops in the gym. I was just shooting free throws. And uh, I was so into this whole identity, relationship, mission. What, what does it mean that I'm a beloved son of God? Trying to live in that rather than this frenzied attempt to earn My salvation or earn God's love which is such a temptation for us and has been at least for me and there I am shooting free throws and as an average free throw shooter missing about as many as I make and I just had this prayer in my mind that whether I make this next shot or miss it I'm still God's son it may sound silly but it was this small little thing that yeah I'm not perfect And I make mistakes probably as much as I hit the mark in life, in everything. But no matter what happens, if I miss this shot or make this shot, it's irrelevant to my relationship to God and therefore my worth, my value, whether or not I'm lovable. And that if if I can live in that identity that no matter what happens in life, whether that river is clouded with mud or whether it's crystal clear, whether it's surrounded by violence and oppression or whether it's surrounded by peace and dove and all things beautiful, that I am rooted in my relationship to God the Father. And this is the gift that baptism gives us, the gift of sanctifying grace. That Holy Spirit that has been given to us in baptism and will never be revoked That is the the fundament of our relationship to God, that he will never leave us. I'll leave you with this this quote, which I love. St. Charles Borromeo, who was a priest uh, and a bishop in the time of the Reformation, wrote this, that I admit that we are all weak, but if we want help, the Lord God has given us the means to find it easily. It's very simple. Let me read it again. I admit that we are all weak, but if we want help, The Lord God has given us the means to find it easily. We make things very complicated. I don't know about you, but I often make things way too complicated. I've got problems in life. I've got things that I need to get done, but I don't know quite how to do them. Maybe if I just plan it out perfectly or or, uh, try to organize my situation and my circumstances in a way that everything works out the way that I want it to work out. But I'm too weak, I'm too ignorant. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. But the grace of God is with me always. I'm too weak to make things happen, even in my own life, much less in the world around me, the way that they should happen. But God has given me the gift of this Holy Spirit. He's made it very easy to ask for help. That as soon as I'm ready to give up my own little projects and plans and recognize my inability to complete them, I can turn to my side and say to Jesus, Hey, I'm glad you're still here. Can you help me? He'll be there to help you. We are all weak, but he's made it very easy to ask for help.